So we've been spending the last uh, three weeks looking at uh, different psalms and, and talking about how these psalms interact with the different emotions that we feel just through life. Um, the, the psalms, a collection of uh, prayers, um, songs, and, and Hebrew poetry that makes up the big chunk of your Bible. If you don't know where to find it, just open right in the middle. You'll probably be there. There's 150 of them, so it's a good chance you're going to land on one of them. And those psalms really uh, lay out every single range of emotion for the human life. Uh, when we actually stop to think about the fact that God has included um, just these heartfelt, gut-wrenching prayers uh, of sorrow and pain and anguish and frustration, as well as uh, incredible mountaintop songs of triumph and glory and celebration, we, we just see the wisdom of God that he's included all of these things in, in his scripture to help us know uh, that, that he is able to deal with all sorts of reins and emotions that we face. And so we looked two weeks ago uh, at how, how does God's word speak to us when we feel spiritually depressed, when we just feel like there's a fog between us and God. Last week, we, we looked at Psalm 27 to talk about uh, how does God speak to us when we feel afraid, when, when we're just facing various fears, whether that's fear of a, of a who, a person, or a fear of a what, a fear of a situation. And this week, we're going to look at Psalm 13, a short psalm of only six verses uh, by, by, uh, by David, but it answers the question, or it gives us a direction to the question, what, what do we do when we feel forgotten by God? When we, when we feel like God has just forgotten us. And what we're going to find in this psalm is uh, really two things. We're going to find, uh, just by virtue of this psalm being included, we're going to find encouragement. But then the psalm is also going to give us direction on, on the path to take when we, when we just feel like God has forgotten us. So let's look at the text and, and see what David writes, see what God's word says uh, experientially about this, this moment or this feeling, this experience of feeling that God has forgotten us. Let's look at Psalm 13. So it's to the choir master, a psalm of David. So written by, by David, a psalm uh, primarily meant to, to be sung, um, and it says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. We can look at this psalm really in kind of three, uh, three movements. We can look at the first, um, really the first two verses. All of this really kind of functions as a song slash prayer, but we could break it up like this. We could look at the first two verses uh, as the problem. Uh, we can look at uh, verses uh, three and four uh, as this prayer. It becomes this specific, God, consider, consider this God, really, really listen. And then we can look at verses five and six really as the praise. So we have this, this problem, this prayer, and then this praise if we wanted to break up this text in, in that particular order. But the first thing I really want us to see when we, uh, when we look at this situation is that uh, David, um, the character we know from First, Second Chronicles, First, Second Samuel, First, and Second Kings, uh, we know that he is experiencing this feeling uh, of, uh, of just sensing that he has been forgotten by God. 
that he has been left out to dry, that God has, uh, to use the words of the psalm, that God has basically turned his face away from David, left David to his own devices to solve his own problems, to deal with his own trials, and to figure out his own life. David feels experientially like God has simply forgotten him. And one of the ways that he puts this that is a kind of a, a poignant way, uh, a phrase that really, I think, touches, uh, touches at a heart level is he asks this question, how long, O Lord? How long? It helps us to understand that this question, how long, O Lord, is a question that we see throughout Scripture. It's not unique to David. It's not unique to us. That there is this moment throughout all of Scripture where God's people are always asking at different points, God, how long are we going to deal with X? How long until you bring about this? How long until you protect us from this? How long until you set right everything that is wrong? How long, O Lord, until you act? How long will I feel like you have forgotten me. We see this throughout Scripture, which teaches us one thing. One of the first things that this teaches us is that, one, if we feel this way, we are not strange. Two, this teaches us another thing that makes uh, life difficult is that God's timetable is often very different from our own, which is why experientially we often feel like, has God forgotten us? Has God forgotten me? Now, there's nothing... uh, in this psalm that gives us particular clues into what David is dealing with, other than really verses uh, 4, where he says, God, consider me. God, act unless my enemies prevail over me. We know that for David, we talked about this last week, that for David, he had been anointed as the king of Israel, but the former king Saul uh, had kind of, kind of turned, uh, turned evil. The, the sin and greed in his heart had taken over, and he didn't want to give over uh, the kingship to David, and so he began to persecute David. He began to hunt David. Uh, David began to run from his, for his very life, to, to live in caves, to, to live with mercenaries, to go to be in other countries and, and, and be separated from the temple of God and from the people of God in order just to survive and not be killed. We don't know the exact timeline for how long David had to run for his life, but we know that if we kind of date things a little bit, he was probably running for at least four to five years of just running from his life in constant fear, wondering, were the armies of Saul going to catch him and kill him? So we can understand a little bit more of the how long. We also know that David would commit a gross, gross sin that would lead to all sorts of trouble with his family. He would end up being hunted for his life by his very own son. So we can even see this how long maybe playing into this question uh, and that portion of his life as well. We can understand a little bit more of this feeling forgotten by God. But we also know that this question or this phrase, how long, uh, is not just a, a refrain for David's life, but it's common for the, for the Christian life. It's common for every single one of us. Any one of us can relate, whether uh, we have uh, followed Jesus or followed Jesus or not. We can relate to the feeling of how long, how long until I get to this stage of life that I desperately want to be at? How long until I'm done with this part of my life? How long am I going to deal with this type of pain and sickness in my body? How long am I going to deal with these feelings of regret and guilt? How long am I going to deal with loneliness? How long am I going to deal with with these things. So this question of how long relates to every single one of us. But it helps us deeply to understand that this is not something that necessarily comes about from our own doing, but is common to the experiences of the people of God, common to the human experience, and that in that commonality, God really does meet us. God really does work through our how long moments. You know, one great example we just mentioned David, but another great example of this kind of feeling forgotten by God, we see it uh, with, uh, with Joseph in uh, the story of Genesis. 
that he gets a dream, and does anyone remember what his dream uh, told him, what he was told in the dream, that he would become a what? You want to remember? The next winner of American Idol? King. He would become king, king over his brothers, right? And then he tells his brothers, which probably is not the thing to tell your brothers. <laughs> One day I will rule over you. Um, but he, but he, he receives this dream that he's going to rule, that God is going to make him significant, right? He receives that dream. But between receiving that dream and the reality of becoming king, there is this great moment of his life that is essentially a how long? Like, how long, God? Have you forgotten me? David gets this dream of God is going to make him significant and make him king. And then the next thing that happens is his brothers try to kill him and sell him into slavery. And then as he's sold into slavery, there's this moment of redemption where he, he ends up earning favor with one of the rulers, but then he's slandered, so he's thrown into prison. So he spends a few years in prison. And then he has this moment where he interprets dreams for the ruler, Pharaoh, and, and, and he gains favor, and he's supposed to be let out, but they forget about him then, so he's in prison for a couple more years. So he has this huge how long moment of this moment of being told he would be made significant, something great would happen in his life, and decades before it actually happens. But when we begin to look at the story of everything that God was doing through all of those moments of, of Joseph feeling forgotten, when we begin to zoom out and look at it, and when we even use Joseph's own words, we find out that Joseph was able from perspective to see, okay, I wasn't really forgotten. God was actually doing something. God was working to get Joseph in position to be king at the right time to feed Israel, who would suffer famine, and to bring the story of redemption further along. But in the moments, in the reality of being in prison, in the reality of being slandered, in the reality of being sold into slavery by your brothers, there is no, hey, this is going to be redemptive. The only thing that you're thinking in that moment is how long? The only thing you're thinking in that moment is, God, have you forgotten me? The only thing you're thinking in that moment is, God, it feels like you have forgotten me, no question mark. But it helps us to understand from those stories that in the middle of those legitimate, God, you have forgotten me, it feels like moments, in the long span of things, God was doing something. We could go character after character. We could look at Naomi in the book of Ruth, that things seem to be going well in her life. Then her husband dies, then her two sons die, then there is a famine where she lives, so she has to return back to Israel and she has absolutely nothing. But Ruth comes along with her and says, uh, your God will be my God. I will not abandon you. But Naomi says this. She says, Let, "Just change. don't even call me Naomi anymore. Change my name to Mara. Sorry. Uh, change my name to Mara. My life is bitter. Because she feels absolutely abandoned by God. Just change my name to Mara. The Lord has forgotten me. The Lord has forsaken me. She feels absolutely abandoned. But years will pass. Years will pass. And God will work through Ruth's life in order to bring redemption into her life and great significance into Naomi's so that at the end of the book of Ruth, Naomi says, I'm blessed. Because through her line would come David and would come the Christ. But in those moments, she feels absolutely forgotten. In the moments of, of, of that abandonment, of that feeling of, of being forgotten, all she's asking is, how long, Lord? I mean, think of this. You go through so much trauma or so much struggle in your life that you go downtown to Somerville and say, hey, we'll change my name to Bitter. Right? Don't, don't call me this anymore. You're going to call me bitter because my life, I, I feel like God has forsaken me. So we can gain encouragement by seeing 
that these are very real experiences. We can look at David's story. We can look at Joseph's story. We can look at Naomi's story in the book of Ruth. We can also look at our own stories. Our own how long questions. How long am I going to struggle with this sin? How long will I feel completely alone? How long will how long be the anthem of my life? How long will I be in this dry season? How long will I be afraid? How long will I not be able to make ends meet? How long am I going to feel sick? We ask these legitimate questions and we legitimately feel experientially forgotten by God. We know that theologically God does not forget us, but experientially it feels that way. So we see the problem here in the text. We see the problem as we look through the story of Scripture. It is a common experience uh, when we live life in a broken, fallen world. But then we need to ask this question. We can't just uh, look at the problem and say, hey, the problem affects all of us. Amen. We have to figure out how do we navigate this fog? How do we, how do we navigate these, these waters of, of feeling forgotten by God? I think this psalm gives us help. I think there's, there's two general responses to when we feel forgotten, when we feel this how long uh, ache happening in our hearts. One, uh, one response is to really kind of just bottle it up, right? When we feel forgotten by God, to just kind of bottle up those emotions, bottle up those feelings, bottle up that experience, and, and just push it down internally. We don't really talk about it. We don't really process it with others. We just internalize it. We just keep it there. And over time, we become more and more angry. We become more and more frustrated. We become more and more bitter. Over time, our hearts become callous, right? We hear somebody say, we hear something good happen in someone else's life, but in our heads, we're like, well, that hasn't happened to me, so no, God isn't really good, right? We, we, just, we just turn inward with, with frustration. We, we, we don't want to go that, down that path. We don't want to bottle it up. But I think the, the other path uh, that, that we can go in, in these moments when we feel forgotten by God, we can, we can push aside bottling it up. And I think this psalm is showing us a different remedy. This, show, this psalm is showing us the remedy for dealing with these feelings of, of, of being forgotten by God or feeling that way. We deal with it not by bottling it up, but we deal with it by praying it out. We don't bottle it up. We, we pray it out. Notice what the psalmist is doing. They're taking, David is taking this feeling of that God has forgotten me, that God has abandoned me, that God has turned his face from me, and he's turning it into a prayer slash song. He's not bottling it up. He's praying it out. And here's what happens. By praying our feelings, this sort of lament, this sort of mourning, this sort of hurting, by praying our feelings, our lament, our mourning, it actually moves closer to turning into praise. Look at the actual trajectory of this psalm. It starts with this problem, how long, how long, how long? And it ends in verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. Right? These are two, <laughs> these are two polar opposites. How long, Lord? I will sing because you've dealt bountifully with me. How long will you forget me? I will sing because you've been exceedingly overwhelmingly kind to me. Right? Something has happened to the psalmist in the process of praising. Something has happened to the psalmist in the process of praying. Their mourning, their, their, their pain, their hurt has moved an inch closer to praise. Because they haven't bottled up these feelings, they haven't bottled up this hurt, they have prayed it out. So there's a change that has, has, has occurred. Let's look at the, look at the prayer. Let's, let's learn from this prayer. Let's learn from what the psalmist is doing that we might be able to do the same when we have those how long moments as well. Notice in the prayer, uh, the psalmist throughout this whole prayer, throughout this whole psalm, particularly in verse three, notice this, the prayer is incredibly honest, right? One of the ways that we navigate these feelings of I am forgotten by God 
or these how long moments is we actually, uh, we actually turn to God in honest prayer. We don't bottle it up. We don't, we don't make this mistake. Some of us will make the mistake of we'll just bottle it up. We won't pray. We won't talk about it. We won't do anything. Or we'll do polite prayer. Right? We'll just say the things that we know we're supposed to say, even though deep down inside we feel really angry or frustrated. We won't bring that to God, even though he already knows that's how we feel. We'll just pray the polite prayer. Right? But notice the psalmist doesn't do that. The psalmist comes with the real raw emotion of everything that they're actually feeling. There is honest prayer, but notice it's, 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 it's honest, uh, it's, it's earnest. It says, consider me, Lord. It's, it's basically, look at me, God. Think about me, God. Answer me, God, because it feels like you've forgotten that I exist. Look at me. Answer me, Lord. This is honest prayer. But notice it's not just honest prayer. It's honest prayer for a reason. Look at verse 4. Answer me. Consider me, O Lord. Answer me, unless I sleep the sleep of death, verse 3, and then verse 4, unless my enemy says I will prevail over him, right? So the the psalmist is like, God, if you don't look at me, if you don't consider me, if you don't answer me, if you don't think of me, if you don't respond to these prayers, I'm going to die. My enemies are going to triumph over me. I'm going to be ruined. My life is going to be destroyed. I have no other hope except for you. So answer me, God. No one else is going to take me out of this fog, God, except for you. So would you work? Would you, would you part the clouds? Would you shine your light? Would you do something, God? Answer me, because if you don't, these things will happen. I have no other hope except for you. So notice that we see that the way to work through this feeling of being forgotten by God is not to bottle up these emotions, is not to turn to polite prayer and just say, God, everything will be great. Thank you, Lord, for these blessings, right? It's to come to God with an honest reverence. An honest reverence that says, God, this is how I feel. Where are you? And to come honestly. It's almost, we can almost read into this prayer, I think, legitimately in in verses three and four, that, that the psalmist is almost kind of saying this, God, if you don't act, my enemies will triumph over you. And think about how that will diminish your glory. Think of that, how, how that will diminish your name. Because in the, in the Psalms, this phrase enemy throughout the, throughout the collection of Psalms is, is not just somebody who doesn't like you, it's somebody who is actually opposed to God, right? It's evildoers, it's, it's the wicked, it's the people who don't say, I don't know what I think about God. It's no, no, I reject him outright. And so David is saying, God, do these things, answer, or else your own name and my life will be tarnished, will be drugged through the mud. God, do something in response. So we have honest prayer. So here is the, the point of application for us as we look at this prayer section. Do everything that you can to push away the desire to bottle up these feelings. Do everything that you can to push away the, 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 uh, the kind of uh, polite prayer reflux that will just push out platitudes of prayer, but to actually think to yourself, God, how, how do I actually feel about this situation? And to actually genuinely, with reverence, pray your feelings. If you feel that God has forgotten you, you need to go before Jesus and say, Jesus, it feels like you have forgotten me. If you feel that God has abandoned you, you need to go before him and pray and say, God, it feels like you have abandoned me. Help me. Because when we pray our feelings in this God-centered way, we move from lament closer to trust and praise. That's exactly what we see happening here in the Psalms. God will do something through our prayers. Look at the trajectory of this prayer. How long will you hide your face? Verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. There is a massive shift that has happened here. 
Notice the shift happens in verse 5 with the phrase, but. Right? My foes will rejoice because I am shaken, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That but is a huge shift, and it helps us to understand that this shift doesn't mean that the psalmist no longer feels forgotten. This shift doesn't mean that everything has, every pain and ache has fallen to the wayside. This shift is not a minimizing of those things. This shift is, 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 is instead of a minimizing, it's a realizing. The shift is a move from, from, from seeing only the feelings that God has forgotten me to realizing, okay, I do feel that God has forgotten me, but I see the bigger truth of his work and his acts in my life. Now I have a framework for this feeling of forgotten. It's one piece of the puzzle of what God is doing in my life. So I understand that I feel forgotten, but I realize that's not the only thing that I feel. That's not the only reality of how God is working in my life and in the world. This but is not a minimizing, but a realizing. And we see it here. Notice we have this, how long will you forget me forever? Right? Which we know that any time that we use forever with somebody, we know, we know we're kind of exaggerating, right? Every place I take, uh, we take Adrian, our, our three-year-old now, he said, I want to stay here forever. And we know that just, just like you would not like that. Like you, you don't want to stay in Target forever, right? They're going to turn the lights off. There's, it's going to become dark and cold, right? You don't, you don't want to stay here forever. Anytime we're using this forever language, we know, right? We know we're in our feelings far too deep, right? So we know that, that in one sense, we can look at the psalm and say, God, how long will you forget me forever? Right? We understand. It's like, okay, David, like, you know, we do the same thing, but like, come on, like, you know, God's not going to forget you forever. Like, do you, do you remember David and Goliath? You remember, you remember when that happened, right? God is not going to forget you forever, right? So, so we understand that when we get in this real legitimate sense that God has forgotten gotten us, we understand that we, it is so easy and natural for us as humans to take that to the 10th degree, right? To just to have this experience and just feel like, okay, God has completely forgotten me. Jesus never did anything. Jesus hasn't died. Like, I'm just on my own, right? That's normal for us. We do that. And so through this praying of his feelings, the psalmist is now not minimizing those experiences, but realizing how they fit into the framework of all that God has done and all of who God is. See, when we pray, something is not just happening to God, but there is something that's happening to us, right? There is something about getting on your knees and praying that humbles you. There is something that comes out of an encounter or conversation with God, even if the prayers feel like they're hitting the ceiling. There's something that comes out of that that helps us realize, okay, I feel forgotten, but I understand I'm not completely alone. There is something that happens in that encounter. I mean, it's not a perfect parallel, but it's like your friend talking you out of a bad decision. It's your friend talking you out of the end of a bad day. You realize, okay, like this isn't the, like everything is going to work out somehow. Like, okay, I, I understand that not, not everything is falling down in my life right now, right? It's, a, it's parallel to that when we go to God in honest prayer. And so that's what we see happening for the psalmist. Notice it says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. The psalmist has two things that they can trust in. They can trust in their feelings of, of, of this sense of God has forgotten me. They can trust, I, I trust in my feeling that God has forgotten me, or I can trust in God's steadfast love. I can put the weight of my trust and my confidence, I can lean on one of those two realities primarily. Now, we know we don't do it perfectly one way or the other, but I can put most of my weight on one of those realities, that I feel forgotten or God's steadfast love. Where am I going to put my weight? This language of trust is visceral. This language of trust is like leaning on a crutch. It's like throwing yourself on something. So I can put my weight in one of these two places, 
And notice through praying honestly through his feelings, the psalmist is now saying, okay, I'm moving from just trusting only in my feelings and experience to now trusting in God's steadfast love. I'm going to put all of my chips in here with the Lord. And this language of steadfast love, this is a callback to us. Uh, remember when we preached through Exodus for four years? Do you guys remember that? Okay, this is a callback to our four years in Exodus, in uh, Exodus 34, where the Lord reveals himself. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, abounding in steadfast love and mercy. Every time in the Old Testament where you see this phrase, steadfast love, it's meant to take us back to Exodus 34, to take us back to the definitive mountaintop moment where God in his love rescues his people from oppression and having to bow to idols. So, so David is, is really, he's looking back to the Old Testament version of the cross and saying, okay, I got my experience. Saul's army is hunting me. They're legitimately trying to kill me. But I also remember that God has saved my people. God has saved me with this mountaintop moment of the Exodus. Let me put all of my weight and my trust. Let me lean it on this crutch of God's steadfast love and not just my feelings, not just my legitimate experience. Let me lean on God's steadfast love who saved us out of, out of Egypt and not just on what I feel right now. So says, I'm going to put my weight and my trust there. It's really this. It's the psalmist saying that in my present trial, I am going to trust in your past character. That in my present pain of how long, O oh Lord, I'm going to trust in your past track record. That even though I can't see how your hand is moving at this time in my life, I'm going to trust in your heart that says you're full of steadfast love and mercy and you've proved it in the past. That's, that's what the psalmist is really doing here. My heart will rejoice in your salvation, that you've saved, that you've delivered. I will sing to you. Now notice, it's not just a, a declaration, I'm going to trust in you. It's now, he's actually a worship party. I will sing to you. I'm going to shout. I'm going to praise. I'm going to worship. Even though these people are hunting me down, I'm going to worship. I'm going to praise you, God. Why? Because you have dealt bountifully with me, because you've been exceedingly over the top, ridiculously kind and gracious to me, ultimately flowing all from steadfast love, from this very essence and character of God. This is what happens as a psalmist begins to pray their feelings of, of being forgotten. Right, this is so timely, I think, for, I mean, this has to be, uh, speaking to a, to a room of people, this has got to be very timely for some of us right, if not all of us in our own ways, right? Maybe this is a, that, the time of year where you, where you think about, man, this thing in my life went wrong. Or like you're like, no, the thing in my life is going wrong right now, right? This is timely for us. God is inviting us to come to him and to pray these feelings of how long. And he's promising that he's going to do something uh, through that, through that action, that he's going to lead us to, to deeper understandings of his steadfast love. Maybe slowly, but he, but he wants to lead us there. I think part of the way that we can uh, be led there is really even just briefly to reflect on these last two verses. The, this steadfast love, I have trusted in your steadfast love. I will rejoice because you have dealt bountifully with me. Right? The psalmist is, is convinced not only of their own experience, but they are convinced that God has been overwhelmingly kind to them. 
you've dealt bountifully with it. Our psalmist is convinced of two things. People are trying to kill me, and God has been really gracious to me. It's two realities he's absolutely convinced of. Right? And so we also must be convinced of two things, that life in this world is very hard. I love that this psalm is not cause, calling us to hide from that. It's calling us to be honest about that. But we also must be convinced that God has been exceedingly gracious to us. Right? Some of us look at this text and we, we might ask the question, can I really say, verse, verse uh, 6, can I really say the Lord has been uh, bountifully, uh, dealt bountifully with me? Can I truly say that with integrity? But, but, in, but in Jesus, because of Jesus, you can. Because of Jesus, you can. Right? Notice that, that David says in verse 3, consider me, God. Think about me, God. But, but by the end of the psalm, it's David who is thinking about God, how, how gracious God has been to him. I think we would do well to do the same. We, we must consider how through Jesus, God the Father has dealt bountifully with each of us. That he has been over the top with his love. He's been over the top with his mercy. He's been over the top with his grace. Right? Think about this. This psalm is asking, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? But consider how through Jesus, God has dealt bountifully with us, so bountifully according to Scripture, that before God had made the world, He had actually chosen you to love you. He, he has dealt bountifully with you. But we, we must consider these truths. Right before, before the world was made, the Lord dealt bountifully with you and said, I will love you, I will choose you, I will make you a part of my family. Think of how that truth goes to war with these feelings of feeling forgotten. Before you loved him, according to Scripture, he first loved you. He has dealt bountifully with us. Consider even this, that your sins by nature and by choice have not stopped God from loving you have not stopped God from pursuing you, have not stopped God from putting a smile over your life when he thinks of you. Your sins have not even stopped him from doing that. He has dealt bountifully with you. Think of this. Christ has sustained your life through all your trials, all your heartaches, all the pains and things that you have faced that without his sustaining hand, you would have crumbled under. He has sustained you up until this very single moment. He has dealt bountifully with you. Christ, in his great love, became a sacrifice for your sins. If there was ever a moment where, where, where Jesus should have forgotten you, surely it was before going to the cross, right? You ever have those friends where, like, they promise to do something for you, and you're like, man, this is going to be so helpful. And then at the last minute, it's like, oh, I forgot. You're like, dude, now I have to give the presentation, right? Now I have, right? Those moments where you're like, now it's on me. If there was ever a moment that would prove how God truly feels about us, what God truly thinks of us, his true orientation towards humanity, it is surely before the cross when Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is asking the Father, is there another way? Is there a way that I can get out of doing this for humanity, for your people? Is there an opportunity for, for, for there to be some sort of change in this, in this divine rescue plan? Instead, Jesus, with resolve, leaves the moment of prayer and goes forward with determination. Isaiah describes it like this, that his face was set like flint, that he was determined, that he was focused, that, that he was totally dialed in into sacrificing himself for you. He has dealt bountifully with us. 
See, while, while we may feel that God has forgotten us, we must look to all of the realities of his steadfast love that speak otherwise. Let's say, though we feel forgotten, the track record of what God has done in our lives, ultimately Christ, shows us that he actually has remembered us when he should have forgotten us. And that's how our lament, our mourning, our how long begins to turn more and more into, I will trust in your steadfast love. We end up throwing all of our weight, all of our hope, all of our chips on the steadfast sacrificial love of God in Jesus, even if we feel forgotten at the moment. This is my, this is my hope for myself, my hope for you, that you would put all your weight, all your hope, all your chips, all your confidence, not simply on the reality of what you are feeling right now, but on the reality of Christ's steadfast love. He has de- dealt bountifully with us. And here is our constant help by considering and fixing our eyes on Christ and, con- and continually taking our feelings our hurts, our fears, our pains, and giving them over to God through prayer. He will lead us towards praise. He will lead us towards perspective that sees how he is good and how he will work in this situation and circumstance. That's what we see happen for the psalmist. When we feel forgotten, we don't dismiss those feelings, right? Some people might counsel us and say, hey, you feel forgotten, just kind of stuff it, forget about it. It'll work out. How? Don't worry, right? Don't worry. No, no, no. We don't, we don't do that. That's, that's not what Christ calls us to. When we feel forgotten, we don't dismiss those feelings. We pray them. We mourn. We ask how long. But in the process of doing that, we look to Christ and we lean on his steadfast love. That's our hope for us. That's what the psalmist does. That's what we have even greater reason to do because we have seen the work of the cross from a new angle, a new perspective. Let's take a moment to pray.